The Bible says, if my people, which are called by my name. Now listen carefully. It doesn't say, if my people who call themselves by my name. It says, if my people, which are called by my name. I wonder if when the world looks at you, would they say, that's got to be a Christian. Would somebody call you by his name? I run into people all the time as we travel and as we witness to them, they say, oh, well, thank you for doing that, but I'm already saved. You could never guess it if they didn't tell you. I wonder if the way you love people, you'd be called by his name. I wonder if the way you forgive people, you'd be called by his name. I wonder if the way you serve, you'd be called by his name. Boy, if we want to change America, the fate is not to change what's out there. The fate is to change what's in here. It says, if my people, which are called by my name, will humble themselves, and then comes the key word, and pray. I hope your prayer life is A+. I hope you can say, Brother Gibbs, if God was here and he was to rate my prayer life, it's A+. Can I tell you the problem? We've gotten so busy, and we've got so much to do, We've taken insignificant things and elevated them to the place that they replace prayer. Yes. Yep. Yep. Turn in your Bibles, please, to 1 Samuel. 1 Samuel chapter 17. Next to the Savior, we know more about the life of David than any other man in the Bible. Have you ever asked yourself, why did God go to such lengths to tell us so much about David? Why didn't he tell us more about John the Baptist or more about Paul or Peter? Why didn't we know more, even more than we got about Joseph? But next to the Savior, the one that God revealed the most about is David. And as Brother Sammy said here, the only person in the Bible that God ever made this statement about is David. He said he's the man after God's own heart. Now, please listen carefully. If David could be the man after God's own heart, you and I can be the man after God's own heart. And I've heard people speculate Brother Arthur, on why God said David was the man after God's own heart. And I've heard some say, well, the reason he's the man after God's own heart is because look at all the magnificent things he did, his kingdom building, his warriorship, his leadership. There's only one problem. When God said that about David, David hadn't done any of that yet. All of that came way, way later. 
Well, I think they say then he was the man after God's own heart, and I've heard this preached, because in the Bible, he's probably the best repenter that we know about. Boy, when David turned from sin and repented, he really changed direction. He did it decisively. But once again, the problem is, when God said he was the man after God's own heart, David hadn't committed any of the sins he needed to repent of. And why would God say David was the man after God's own heart and then tell us one story? And it's the story found in Samuel, 1 Samuel chapter 17. And you know the story because it's the story of David and Goliath. Now we teach it to Sunday school kids, and I don't think there's anybody here who doesn't know the story of how David felled the giant Goliath. But as you read the story, there's a whole tapestry of facts that God talks about that have little to do with David and Goliath. Why didn't God just say there was this infidel giant, he was defying the armies, all the armies were afraid, David stepped up, took his sling, fell the giant and cut his head off. God could have said that in a verse and a half. But instead, God gives you a whole chapter of facts that it fit in between Goliath and David felling him. And this is the story that you get right after God said David is the man after God's own heart. Now, I want you to mark, if you would, tonight, five things down. And maybe as we go through these five, they'll be easy for you, but they're a struggle in my life. Now, perhaps you're here tonight and you're saying, Brother Gibbs, I don't even know why I'm at camp meeting. I've got everything perfect in my life. Uh, I, I am just spiritually excelling. If that's true, then I would earnestly ask you to pray for me. How many of you are struggling with some things in your own life? How many of you would readily admit you do some stupid things? How many of you, like me, do some things that can only be classified as super stupid? And how many of you are thrilled everybody doesn't know about all the stupid things you do? That's my story. Oh, you bet. Now, you know the story. David has been picked to replace Saul. And Saul just made two simple mistakes that we can make. He got proud, and then he disobeyed. Man, the prophet said to him, when you were little in your own eyes, God really used you. Boy, if you want to know something that I fear, we're sometimes not good at getting little in our own eyes, humbling ourselves. But God said, I'm going to put the kingdom in the hands of somebody that's a man after my own heart, and that was David. Now David was, because he was good with music, was brought in to calm Saul down. And now he's left. And when the story opens in the middle of the chapter, 
David is back taking care of his dad's sheep. And God now gives you a whole litany of facts about the character of David. I want you to write the first one down. The man after God's own heart, David, was diligent in insignificant tasks. He was diligent in insignificant tasks. He's watching the sheep. Read with me, if you would, please, starting at verse 14. And David was the youngest, and the three eldest followed Saul. Now remember, that was the prestige position. If you could get to go and be a warrior, boy, that was the big-time stuff. Verse 15, but David went and returned from Saul to feed his father's sheep at Bethlehem. There was nothing in that day more demeaning to a man than to give him a job a girl could do. And you know most of the shepherds were girls. Because all you did all day was follow the sheep, the goats, and watch after them. And if you go to the Middle East to this day, Brother Arthur, you've been there, and watch the Bedouins, it's little kids doing it. What an insignificant task. Now, in a minute... David's dad is going to ask him to run an errand. And you know what the Bible says? We'll read it in a second. Before he left the sheep, he got a keeper for them. Diligence. Man, I've watched people run off and leave jobs and leave posts half done. They have no diligence in small things. Well, Brother Gibbs, give me a really big job. Give me something that's of momentum. Give me something huge, and you'll see how diligent I am. No, you won't be. Because if you're not diligent in the small things, you'll never be diligent in the big things. Now, in a few verses, he's going to get called before the king. And you know what he's going to say about his diligence? He's going to say, I'm watching these sheep, and a bear and a lion came out and grabbed one. And you know what I did? I went and got the sheep out of the bear's mouth. I got it out of the lamb's mouth. If I'd have been watching those sheep, and a bear came out and a lion and took one, you know what I said? Bye-bye, little sheep. (laughs) Better you than me. Can I ask you this question? When is the last time you were so diligent you went into the bear and got it back out? The man after God's own heart. David, this is not a prestige position. This is a position kids do. Worse, David, 
It's a position that girls can do. And David, in your culture, this is the position you get out of as soon as you can because it's demeaning. You know what he said? But I did it with diligence. I never left those sheep unwatched. And I protected them with my life. Can I ask you about three things for diligence in your life? I wonder if you're diligent in prayer. I wonder if you can say, if there's something I'm really careful and diligent about, it's prayer. I have never seen a person diligent in prayer who didn't have a major prayer list. Because nobody can be diligent in prayer without a prayer list. If I were to ask you, show me your prayer list, I wonder what I'd be looking at tonight. Without a prayer list, here's the problem. You start praying... And you run out of stuff to pray about. Now, you do a prayer list and you write down on it everything you want God to do in your life, everything you want God to do in your kids' lives, everything you want God to do in your ministry, everything you want God to do in America, everything you want God to do in the world, everything you want God to do in men of of God's lives across. Let me tell you what, you are going to have some kind of a list. But you know why that never gets prayed over? Because there's no diligence. The average lady makes a better list when she goes to the store than she makes when she goes to God. I get to interview cream of the crop young people who want to be lawyers for God. And the first question I ask them, would you be kind enough to show me your prayer list? And you know what, 99, they come out of the best Bible colleges we have. 99% of them have none. Diligence in small things. How many of you remember Lester Roloff? Anybody remember Brother Roloff? We were doing a trial. I had the privilege to defend him in 14 trials. And he called me one morning. He said, why don't you come on down for prayer? It's about 6.30. I said, okay. I went down to his room. He had a motel room with two beds. When I walked in, there were papers all over the beds, over both of them. I said, are these pages for the trial or what? He said, no, this is my prayer list. And he said, we won't be able to do all of it in the next two hours. But he said, let's get started. The man after God's own heart. Diligent. Uh, Let me just tell you right now, God at a thousand times you be diligent in prayer than he would you come to camp meeting and get stirred. Now praise God for getting stirred at camp meeting. That's wonderful. 
But if we want to see God do something, there's got to be diligence in some small things. How about diligence not just in prayer, but diligence in witnessing? Let me tell you the dilemma in our best churches nationwide, independent, fundamental, Baptist people, less than 4% ever try to witness. And you say, how in the world? How many tracts did you hand out today? Diligence in small things. Now, in our ministry, we have a simple matter. I ask everybody to hand out 10 tracts a day. And you say, well, that's just an arbitrary number you picked out of the air. That's correct. Yeah, but... You know what? But because we hand out 10 tracts a day, last year 130-some people trusted Christ. Can I tell you what? Without the diligence of a goal, you will be comfortable handing out none. Diligence in small things. Now, can I tell you the problem? There's nobody here tonight that said, we're supposed to pray? I didn't know that. We're supposed to witness? I didn't know that. Everybody here knows that. But you know why we don't do it? Because we're not diligent in small things. How about a third one? How about diligent to do good works? You know what the Bible says? We are commanded to be rich in good works. Now, can I tell you the problem with good works? You never do them by accident. They're by purpose and design. And boy, Brother Joe, you know my wife. She has helped me with this. We will sit down and we do it a couple times a month. She'll say, come on, we got to work on our list and we, do, we write down a list of the good works we want to do. Do you know how many of those would get done if we didn't put them on the list? None. Because they all require a purpose. I'm telling folks, if we could get God's people to be diligent in just prayer and witnessing and good works, we change this nation. David, the man after God's own heart, was diligent in small things. Write these verses down. Proverbs chapter 12, verse 24. The hand of the diligent shall bear rule. Proverbs chapter 12, verse 29. Seest thou a man diligent in his business? He shall stand before kings. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 22. Paul, about the man he was sending the offering with, he said he oftentimes proved diligent in many things. Boy, you know Colossians chapter 3, verse 23. And whatsoever ye do, do it heartily. As to the Lord. 
I have to go and take a lot of legal training every year to keep all our bar licenses and our ability to do things across America. And I have to go and pay and sit in these classes and be tested. And in the scope of all of that, they sit down and they say, you don't do this, you'll be disbarred. You don't do this, you'll be disbarred. You don't do, and then when they start talking like that, you can't believe how I listen. Because my ministry will be over. And you know what? I walk out of there making the decision. I am going to be diligent and get that stuff done. You know what God's looking for? Somebody who says, for you, I want to be diligent. I hope this is not your case. But a whole lot of Christians have gotten comfortable with being sloppy for God. Absolutely sloppy. The man after God's own heart was not sloppy. He was diligent. Write the second thing down. The man after God's own heart had a passion to serve. Read with me at verse 17. And Jesse said unto David his son, Take now for thy brother an ephah of this parched corn and these ten loaves and run to the camp to thy brethren. Notice he told them, run, wow. And carry these ten cheeses unto the captain of their thousand and look how thy brethren fare and take their pledge. Now wait a minute, Dad. <laughs> uh, can I talk to you a minute here? I, I already got the bad job. <laughs> they already got the prestige positions. Now you want me to run and take care of them? And dad, if I noticed, you don't have anything for me in this list. You want me to carry it to them? They already, got, they're not following those. You know what the Bible says? He got up early in the morning and did as Jesse commanded him. He had a passion to serve. Wow. Now, here's my question. Not are you willing to serve. Do you have a passion to serve? Do you crave serving? Hmm. Well, Brother Gibbs, if the circumstances are right and the cameo appearances involved and if my name gets... That's not a passion to serve. That's a passion for notoriety. The Bible says the greatest among us would be the servant of all. Wonder who the greatest man in this room is? I promise you it's not me. Because there's way more people here that serve more than I do. Do you have that passion? Brother Joe, I was at a meeting with another wonderful man of God. We were both going to preach that night. And the service got a little long, got a little long. And it was going to start at 7. Two of us were going to preach. And they got singing and doing other things. And before they got ready to do the first preacher, it was 940. Wow. And this other... Man of God and I are sitting over here and the preacher came over and he said, gentlemen, 
He said, I, I just this got away from us all tonight. He said, I know you both came just to do tonight, and you're both supposed to do it. But he said, I, I need to ask one of you to not do it. Would you please? And before I could say a word, the other man said, I insist it would be me. I would love to serve Brother Gibbs by praying while he preaches. I mean, he just got that out before I could respond. And I said, oh, no, 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 no way, no way, uh-uh, uh-uh. I said, number one, you, you are my senior, I esteem you. I, I said, you have done, I said, if I were 10 times the Christian I am, I wouldn't be half the Christian you are. And I said, and number two, you came all the way across the country for tonight. I said, no. He said, no, I insist. He said, I have a passion to serve you, Brother Gibbs. You know what the man's name was? Lee Robertson. I said, Dr. Robertson, you can't do that. I said, I'm telling you, my mom had come right out of heaven and slapped me blue if we did this. Yeah. And by the way, I mean, I coerced him. I said, I, I won't do it. I said, you must. But that man said, David, the important thing tonight is not to have a passion to preach. He said, the important thing tonight is to have a passion to serve. Amen. Amen. That's right. Well, Brother Gibbs, I have a passion to serve. It just doesn't show. <laughs> Would you write this down? You can't hide a passion to serve. It shows every time. It becomes you. My wife. Our pastor will say, I need some volunteers. You know what? Her hand goes up before she knows what it is. She does. And I say, honey, you don't even know what it is. You know what she says? It don't matter. I want to help. I want to serve. I say, yeah, but what if it's something only a man can do? She said, that's all right. God will understand and you'll do it. I mean, the preacher says, I need volunteers, and her hand goes up. I wonder if that's you. David, I want you to run take care of your brothers. And I don't have a present for you. It's all for them. Wow. Verse 20, and David rose up early in the morning. And remember I said diligent? If I'd have been running this errand, I'd have been up at the crack of noon. Hey, there's nothing in it for me. Isn't it amazing how much God told us that has nothing to do with Goliath? And David rose up early in the morning, and I hope you underline these, and left the sheep with a keeper. Yes, 
and took and went as Jesse had commanded him. Wow. The man after God's own heart. Number one, he's diligent. Number two, he's got a passion to serve. Write the third thing down. He took offense for the living God. And he refused to take offense for himself. Let me read this passage with you. Verse 26. And David spake to the men that stood by and saying, What shall be done to the man that killeth this Philistine? Remember, Goliath was thundering his threatenings and his challenge. And taketh away the reproach from Israel. For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? I want to talk to the preachers here a minute. Most of the offense I hear preached on isn't because it's an offense to God. We think it's an offense to us. Why those homosexuals just tick me off? What those liberals, those, I'm sick and tired. Is this your offense? Or is this God's offense? I hardly ever say somebody, hear somebody say, I am so grieved for what they're doing to God. What I hear is I'm grieved for what they're doing that bugs me. And there's a world of difference. Now, whatever you love, you will pick up the offense for. Let me give you an example. Brother Joe Arthur's a dear friend, and I love this man. And I want to tell you right now, you attack him, I'm going to pick up his offense. Because I love him. You attack him, I'm going to pick up his offense. I'm afraid we have men who haven't carried an offense for God for a long time. Oh, they're carrying offenses. And see, somebody comes that's attacking Brother Arthur and says, what I do to you, Brother Gibbs? Nothing. But I love him. And I love what he does, and I love his family. And I'm carrying that offense. I love him. And when you do this to him, I'm going to carry that offense. My pastor, Pastor Roy Thompson, called me one day, and I never heard him talk like this. He said, David, I'm so mad I could spit. I said, what are you mad about? Oh, he said, it was awful. I said, somebody did something to you? He said, no, 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 they didn't do anything to me. They did it to God. 
I said, what do you mean they did it to God? He said, I'm telling you, I'm offended for what they did to God. I'd never heard anybody talk like that. By the way, a whole bunch of you have never heard anybody talk like that. I said, what happened? He said, well, I went to this Christian school meeting. And he said it was a competition, and all the kids were doing their stuff. And he said at the end, he said the basketball team that won got three-foot-high trophies, and everybody clapped and applauded, and all the kids that did music and speech, they got three-foot-high trophies and applauded and clapped and won. And he said then this boy who word-perfect did over 800 verses of Scripture came up and he said, nobody applauded. And he said, we gave him a little medal, a little badge that was the chintziest looking thing you ever saw. He said, David, I'm so mad I could spit. He said, how dare we do that to God? How dare? Never forget, he said, God don't care. You can go down the court like a gazelle and put a ball in a hoop. He said, thank God you can sing. But he said, God gave you that gift. He said, this boy did God's word. And he said, how you treat the Bibles, how you treat God. And he said, the bottom line is, I'm offended for God. I said, wow. I had never heard anybody talk like that. I wonder... Are you the man after God's own heart? Or are you railing on what bugs you? Or are you railing on what offends God? He said, I want you to try to be home Sunday. I said, okay, why? He said, because we're going to give this boy a trophy. He said, I'm going to fix some of this offense. He got that boy and his family to our church. He went out and had a 10-foot-tall trophy made. Put plaques all over it. They brought that in. Our church gave that boy a 20-minute standing ovation. Then we found out his bedroom did not have a 10-foot ceiling. So preacher took up an offering and we raised the ceiling in his bedroom to hold the trophy. At the end of that day, my preacher came to me. I said, it's amazing. He said, David, it's so hurt for what we did to him. When's the last time you hurt? Not for what they did to America or to you, but you hurt for what they did to him. Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should mess with me? He said that they not defy the armies of the living God. David had God's offense at heart. Now I want you to notice 
He refused to take offense for himself. Verse 28, And Eliab, his eldest brother, heard when he spake unto the men. And Eliab's anger was kindled against David, and he said, Why camest thou down hither? And catch this next thing. And with whom hast thou left those? Say out loud the next two words. Few sheep in the wilderness. I know the pride and the naughtiness of thine heart, for thou art come down that thou mightest see the battle. My brother Joe, if I'd have been standing there, I'd have said, listen, bud. Yes, sir. I didn't want to do this anyway. I'm here because dad asked me oh, to do me. you a favor. And you may be right about those few sheep in the wilderness, but I take care of them like nobody else. I am diligent at it, and you button your lip, or I'm going to start telling what I know about you. How many of you have a brother or a sister? Hold your hand up. How many of you think they know a thing or two about you? Hold your hand up, yeah. Oh, boy. My sister was here. Could she ever tell you about the real David Gibbs growing up? But you know, that's not what he did. He said, what have I now done? And he immediately went back to God. He said, is there not a cause? Wow. Diligent in small things. Passionate to serve. Man rose up early in the morning and ran. He did exactly what his dad said. Right. <laughs> yes, sir. Man, then he took offense for God and refused to take offense for himself. Write the fifth and final one down and I'm done. David used God's power to do his everyday tasks. Do you hear me? He used God's power to do his everyday tasks. Drop down, if you would, please, to verse 34. David now is standing before the king, and David said unto Saul, Thy servant kept his father's sheep. Oh, David, don't tell him that. That's not the prestige position. And if you're going to say that, let's, let's help wordsmith it a little bit. Let's tell the king you were in agribusiness. But you know what? He said, no. I kept my father's sheep. That's not something anybody would brag about. And there came a lion and a bear and took a lamb out of the flock. And I went out after him and smote him and delivered it out of his mouth. And when he arose against me, I caught him by his beard and smote him and slew him. Thy servant slew both the lion and the bear. And this uncircumcised Philistine shall be as one of them, seeing he hath, catch the words again, defied the armies of the living God. Now, verse 37 is the key. David said, moreover, the Lord that delivered me out of the paw of the lion and out of the paw of the bear, he will deliver me out of the hand of this Philistine. The devil's strategy is simple. He wants you to do as much as you will in your power. 
And he wants you to do as little as he can get you to do in God's power. Uh, God, pardon me, pardon me. This brother Gibson, let me tell you the way I see it. I can handle about 80% of this. And if you just kick in and help me with the 20% I can't handle, what a dynamic partnership we'd be, God. 80% me, 20% you. I just need you to help with what I can't handle. And the devil's got you. You know what the Bible says? You're not to do anything that isn't in his power. I wonder if you can say, Brother Gibbs, today I did everything by God's power. Did you even try? Well, I didn't need God's power to drive here. Well, I didn't need God's power to eat down there. Well, I didn't. And the devil has got you. You know what the scriptures command? And whatsoever ye do, in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus. You know what it means to do it in his name? How many of you here have a driver's license? Hold your hand up. How many of you, like me, have ever had a speeding ticket? Hold your hand up. That officer pulls up behind you, and he goes. And you know what? When the officer goes, it's amazing how powerful his finger is. You know what you do, Brother Joe? You pull over. You know why? Because he's doing it in the name of the government. That's not his finger that pulled you over. That's a policeman's finger that pulled you over. You go out there in traffic and go like this to people, they'll make a hood ornament out of you. People will laugh and say, that stupid idiot, who does he think he is out there? Same finger, same movement, but one has got the name of the police behind it and the other doesn't. You know what you've been doing all day? You've been doing this, but you didn't do it in his name. Jesus said, without me, ye can do nothing. Boy, are we determined to prove that verse not true. And whatsoever ye do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not unto men. What would it take for you to try to live one day where you say, I don't want to do anything today without his power? Now, I'm not a morning person. I struggle with mornings. How many of you struggle with mornings? Hold your hand up. You will reign in the new Jerusalem. You will. All right. And the reason is there'll be no night. All right. How many of you are like my dear wife? She just bounds out of bed in the morning. How many of you are like her? 
I don't mean this wrong. It ought to be legal to shoot you. I get up in the morning, but I struggle with the mornings. I mean, I, I was up at 3 a.m. this morning to catch flights. And you know what? I said, Lord, I got to have your power. I don't want to do this day. I got to have your power. Man, when I walk out of this, this motel, there's going to be some people up there. God, I need your power. God, at the airport today, I need your power. God, on that flight, I need your power. God, on these phone calls, I need your power. I don't want to do this. And the Bible says, and you hear me, we're almost done. You have not because you ask not. You have gotten intimately comfortable with pulling it off in your power. When I was eight years of age, my mother contracted polio. She never walked again. Lost most of the use of her arms, all the use of her legs, half of her back muscles, half of her breathing muscles. They took my mom to the hospital one day and I didn't see her for two years. She struggled to stay alive. My mom was the church pianist. We were the folks who opened the church up. Brother Sammy, we locked the door. We were the last to leave. Church was our life. And growing up, I loved church. But when that happened to my mom, I thought, God, this isn't fair. I know people who never do anything for you, and they don't have this. And God, why my mom? Why? The first time I got to see her at the hospital, she said to the nurse, would you turn my head so I can see my boy? I thought, God, you could have left those muscles. You took enough. My mom looked at me and said, don't think like that. How many of you know moms know what their kids are thinking? She said, he's doing all things well. I never forgot that. They brought my mom home. And our pastor came to see us. And Brother Sammy, it was not a good meeting. Here's my mom strapped in a chair. Pastor came over, he was very friendly, and my mom said, I know I've been very sick, but is there anything I can do to serve God? And the pastor said to my mom, Mrs. Gibbs, you need to realize God's done with you. He said, this is clearly the judgment of God on you. And I was coming up out of my chair. I've never taken a swing at anybody in my life. But I was going to deck him. We're talking to my mom that way. Yes, sir. 
All I could think of, even if it's true, you don't have to say it. My mom saw it and she said, Davy, be seated. You honor me. Be seated. And he left. My mom said, let's pray. God's got something for me to do. And she said, no, it's going to have to be him because I've lost everything. You see, when you get to the place where you don't have it, then you're going to want him. Another pastor came by just to pray with my mom and my mom said, just pray. I want to do something for God. I don't care what it is. And he said, well, our church is just starting and we have no Sunday school kids and would you like to do that? My mom said, oh, I'd love to do that. She said, everybody's afraid of me, all strapped in this wheelchair, but she said, kids aren't. I watched my mom get ready for the next week and rehearse a Sunday school lesson like there were going to be a thousand kids there diligent in small things. You know who showed up? My sister and me. So you know what my mom did? She sat down and she gave us the lesson. Poured her heart into it. And I thought, this is amazing. I'm doomed. I'm going to go to Sunday school the rest of my life with my sister. But then she said, you know, I've been thinking, we ought to try to see if we could get some kids for our Sunday school. And I said, well, how are you thinking of doing that? She said, well, uptown there's a guy with buses. Let's go ask him if he'd give us a bus to use. I said, Mom, I, I don't think they just give those away. And she said, well, let's just go to see. Now, my mom couldn't do anything, Brother Joe. You had to help dress her, had to help feed her. And when we're going up to get the bus, I'm trying to get my mom in the car, and something terrible happens. I dropped her. And I hurt her. And I mean, she shrieked in pain. And we're both sitting on the garage floor. And I said, Mom, God's not in this. Otherwise, this wouldn't have happened. And she said, no, God's in it. And she said, I just got to have more of his power to get through this pain. She said, you go get a rag so I can wipe my face and then let's get me up off the floor. We went down to where the buses were and I'm trying to get my mom out into her wheelchair and we're having so much trouble because she's hurt. And we go in and there's a real nice receptionist there and 
She said, can I help you? And my mom said, yes, we've come to have you give us a bus. And she said, you mean you want to rent one or buy one? She said, no, we need you to give it to us. And the lady says, well, I, I don't think we do that here, but she said, well, could you call someone and have them come down and talk to me because I think maybe you do want to do it and you just don't know it. That is what she said to him. She called the guy and you can hear him on the phone. She wants us to give her a bus. We don't do that. And the secretary said, well, you come down and tell her. I've already told her. You come down here. The guy comes down really nice and he said, Miss Gibbs, we just don't give these away. And when you get money, if you want to come back. And my mom said, well, I need them to get kids to Jesus. And he said, well, we're, I'm sorry about that, but we don't do that. And my mom said, well, can I ask a question? What position do you hold here? He said, well, I'm the vice president. And she said, well, do you own the company? He said, no, I don't own the company. And my mom said, well, no wonder you can't give me the buses. They're not yours. <laughs> and the funniest thing happened, that little receptionist said, yeah, they don't belong to you, do they? <laughs> I mean, she just jumped right in. He said, lady, I'll, I'll bring the president down, but he's going to tell you the same thing. My mom said, well, if I could just talk to him. We're sitting there for a minute. And my mom said, pray with me, David. She said, God, you know I got nothing. But I got you. That if I got you, I got everything. Now the president came down, nice man. He said, I understand you want a bus, and I want to tell you up front I'm not going to do it. But he said, I want to tell you why I came down. He said, I, unbeknownst to you, you parked your car right under my office window. And I watched the pain you went through to get in that. And he said, my wife was up in the office. and She said, that really matters. Whatever that lady's here for really matters. And my wife told me that I should come down here and talk to you. He said, no, I'm not giving you one. My mom said, well, thank you for coming down. But she said, can I leave one thing with you? She said, she said, one day God's going to be awfully upset with you. She said, because you could help me get these kids to Christ. And I thought, Mom, lighten up a little bit. Just a little. And the man said, well, I got a question for you, Mrs. Gibbs. If I gave you a bus, who would drive it? You? And my mom said, well, I never thought about that. She said, you're absolutely right. I need you to give me a bus and a driver. <laughs> now, when she said that, the vice president standing there slapped his head and he said, this lady is unbelievable. But you know what the secretary said? It's called faith. The substance of things hoped for. The evidence of things not seen. 
The man said, Mrs. Gibbs, I don't know if I'll ever do this again, but I will give you one bus and one driver for one Sunday. And, and the other guy, Al, the vice president, said, you're going to what now? He said, as she's pointed out to you, they're my buses, and I'm giving her one bus and one driver one Sunday. And you know what my mom did? She said, oh, thank you, thank you. But she said, I was so scared to ask for two that I only asked for one, and I really need two. She said, I need one for both sides of town because we'll never get them. And he saw it, Mrs. Gibbs, two buses, two drivers, one Sunday. We walked out of there. I said, Mom, you did it. She said, Son, I didn't do anything. Look at me. I'm helpless. But she said, my God, is it? You see, the devil doesn't fear you trying. He fears God in you doing it. He only gave us two buses, two drivers, one Sunday. Because the next Sunday he gave us three. And within a month, it was four. And within three years, he gave us 35 buses and 35 drivers every Sunday. And he did it for 20 years. 20 years. The Sunday school with no kids, within six and a half years' time, never had less than five thousand kids in it and it was all run by a lady who couldn't do anything but she had an awesome God she had an awesome God the man with the bus company wrote my mom a letter and he said Mrs. Gibbs best thing I ever did was give you a bus she said, all my kids rode your buses and got saved. He said, now my grandkids are on your buses. He said, my wife and I got saved. He said, my parents got saved. She said, about 90% of my drivers are saved. See, my mom would say, Davey, it's time for church. Take my wheelchair. Take me to the buses. And I'd push her out there through snow and everything. And she'd say to those drivers, now put out your cigarette, you're going to church with me. And they'd say, but I don't want to go. And she'd say, yes, you do, you just don't know it. Now you come with me. And I'm telling you, they'd follow her in like ducks. And they all got saved. David, let me get this right. You took a lamb out of a lion's mouth and out of a bear's mouth and you slew the bear? No, sir. I didn't slew the bear. God did. Mom, let me get this right. You got all those kids to Sunday school? No, son. My God got them there. 
the man after God's own heart. Diligent, oh boy. Passion to serve. Absolutely picking an offense for God. No offense for himself. And has God's power. You leave here stirred. We've done nothing. You leave here with God's power. The world is ready to be changed. Bow your heads in prayer. Father, thank you.